Welcome to the Life on Repeat podcast with me, Laura Valancourt, licensed mental health counselor, geriatric mental health specialist, and dementia coach. I'm so happy that you found us. Well, hello, everyone. I am happy to be back today and introduce you to our new guest. We are going to be talking to Beth Luwandi, and she is fantastic. Beth is a success coach. She's a licensed professional counselor. She specializes in relationships, especially healing after loss. She loves working with midlife women who are ready to break old patterns and find more satisfaction and purpose. And Beth, I think you've come to the right audience. (laughs) Yay! (laughs) I'm really excited to get to learn a little bit more about you. And, but first, maybe you can give us a little introduction to yourself and tell us a little about how you came to do the work that you do and what you love the most about working with, with women. Yeah. So I myself am midlife. And of course, as often is true, I've been through loss and betrayal and upheaval with relationship, divorce, death. And when I started my private practice, I wanted to do coaching and counseling at the same time. And my, my little theme song to begin, first of all, was like dealing with matters of love and loss, which I thought was kind of catchy (laughs) and also interestingly and perhaps painfully true that those things go together that whatever kind of relationship that is to not just romantic relationships but I think that's a really good point that people often associate loss even with death or huge upheaval and big turmoil and endings And one of the things that we've learned about just in the work that I do in in working with folks who are living with or caring for somebody who's living with dementia is that loss doesn't always look like a big, sudden ending. (laughs) Right. And so, yeah, I wonder if you could talk a little bit about that too. Just, yeah, I think one of the definitions that I've heard of grief really is, uh, you know, see if I can get this right, because I think it covers absolutely everything. It's a change in pattern or behavior. Oh, wow. No, but it really makes you rethink what we think about grief. And Mm -hmm. yeah, that makes so much sense because with change, there's loss with, even if it's a good change, right? Like, yeah. Interesting. So say that again, grief, the definition of grief that was resonating with you. A change in the pattern of behavior, a change. It's a change, man. It's those feelings that arise from that change. Yeah. And I think too, one of my clients pointed this out when I was talking with her last week too. And she said, I think it's the concept or the dream or the idea too, like a shift in that. And I'm like, yes. And I added the word in behavior or expectation or expectation. I like that. I like that addition a lot. Mm-hmm. I really do too, because, you know, mm-hmm. that's 
we can experience a lot of heartache from that change. Mm-hmm. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. And so often people are grieving the loss of what they thought was going to come, you know, the future, the expectations, the dream of yeah. what they thought their life would look like. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So I'm curious about this whole concept of doing work around loss, because that can be so depressing, right? To be focusing on loss. And often the reason that people reach out is to feel better (laughs) and to have hope. And it can feel scary. It can feel contraindicative of exploring loss and grief on a deeper level in order to come out the other side. So why is that important to be looking at that? You know, I think one of the things people try to avoid actually doing real work around grief, and that's understandable. We're wired as human beings to avoid pain and increase pleasure. Right. (laughs) Why would we intentionally want to do that? In fact, very few people actually will do this work unless they really are motivated by something that's very painful and the promise of it actually helping. Right. 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 So, and I think one of the primary things that's very true is all of us have interesting, but not necessarily effective messages or coping mechanisms, skills that we've developed around dealing with loss, but they're not actually healing. They don't really heal the hurt or the pain or the heartache. We have ideas that, you know, like loss will be with you forever. It will be with you forever. It might dim in its intensity, but you're always going to like something will come along and it will sweep you away. People expect that that's just a permanent condition. And we know that there are actually things that we can do right now in the present time to mitigate both the intensity and frequency of those waves coming. Then the waves are not the problem. The the loss is not the problem. Loss is a part of human life, not really knowing the proper skills for how to deal with it. That's actually the problem because we get into, we do what comes naturally or what we've been told to do or what's modeled for us. And it can be really subtle too. If you think about the very first loss that you ever experienced as a child, maybe it was something like a pet dying. Right. Mm -hmm. And depending on how your parents, I mean, like there are different ways that parents can handle that. Like don't cry. It's okay. Which gives children a message gives us, we internalize it. Don't feel bad. You shouldn't feel bad instead of acknowledging like, oh yeah, this is, I mean, it's sad. We really liked our dog, you know, or whatever, and being able to be there and be present for that child. It could be something too, like, don't worry, we'll get another puppy. A replacement. Yeah. Yeah. A replacement, replace the loss. And other times, you know, we get the message, you're alone. No, one's going to help you with this. You're on your own. Yeah. Yeah. And we develop skills around doing that, or, you know what, you need to be strong. Your little sister's really upset that the dog died. We really need to be strong and 
Yeah. Yeah. Or don't talk about it. We don't, we're not going to talk about it. This is something that we ever bring up again. Yeah. Yeah. All sorts of things. And then people stay busy, keep moving, Mm -hmm. avoid it. You know, I'm just like, I'm moving all the time. Then I don't have to think about it. I don't really have to feel it. I'm just trying to survive that kind of thing. And those very early experiences with loss develop into kind of our go-to methods. We pick whatever really fits us and then we stick with it instead of learning that there really are legitimately healing things to do with those feelings of loss. Right. This is so important. I thank you. I really, I I just want to kind of reiterate what you said that it isn't necessarily, it's not the loss. That's the problem. It's not having the skills. That's the problem. I think that's a really important statement and it helps. It might be an invitation to reframe the experience for folks. And I know for me, just hearing that, I I almost want to say it again. It's not the loss. That's the problem. It's not having the skills. That's the problem. And so what you did was is sort of throw out some ways that maybe we have learned how to cope or, or I guess what I'm saying is those early losses were often, we learn by watching others in our life. Like what was modeled to us? What were we taught about how to cope or handle with those losses? And so what is your approach when you're working with folks around loss? And And I want to just really emphasize with our listeners too, that loss doesn't mean death. Maybe we should start with that first is is kind of talk about the different types of losses that people might experience. Absolutely. So, you know, that change in behavior, pattern of behavior, expectation, that can be a move, a job loss, failing health, natural aging all of those transition things. And it could be things like betrayal at work, learning you can't trust someone you thought was loyal to you. Even bigger in marriage, you know, like infidelity could be divorce or breakup. Mm -hmm. All of those losses, of course, pet loss, which I think gets experienced as being so incredibly powerful, really almost all the time and yet not very well acknowledged. Absolutely. Those kind of hidden, they're not obvious to others. You mentioned one, I I just want to highlight because of our audience. And that is, you mentioned natural aging. And, and I think about that a lot with folks that I'm working with and people's experiences that whether it's a physical loss, like loss of hearing or a loss of mobility loss of independence. But then there's also another piece underneath that, that is with aging, the loss of family roles and uh, responsibilities or always being the one that hosted the holidays or mom is the one who always did this or that, or dad is the one who always did this or that, or my spouse. So there's a loss that the person who is aging is experiencing. And then there's the loss that the family members are experiencing as well with these changing family roles. Right. Yeah. 
and you said something too. I always think of loss as change and how with any change comes, there's a sense of letting go. There's a loss of the old, even positive change, right? Maybe you get a promotion or you get, you're moving to a new house and it's a bigger and better home, but there's still a loss of the old in those positive transitions too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, very much so. Yeah. So then back to what I was going to ask the original question. <laughs> Thank you for this. Cause this just kind of sets the stage, I think, for people to think about the different types of loss out there. So I'm curious what your approach is when you're working with folks as far as in, in the grieving process or people who are facing loss. Yeah. The very first thing is really to foundationally normalize this process. And it's a thing we go through so many times in our lives. And every time that we encounter it, it's like it surprises us again. Every time you're right. It's <laughs> like it's fresh and new and raw. <laughs> yeah. So that's the very first part. And then the next thing is really very compassionately inviting people into the process of considering, you know, what are your go-to ways of coping? Mm -hmm. And there's nothing wrong with those go-to ways of coping. Mm -hmm. They they came from a good place. Probably the people who first modeled them or first examples that we had of that were really well intended. Mm -hmm. But it's really rare for us to actually be taught from somebody who's in charge of us growing up how to grieve properly. And yet it's a skill we're going to need many, many times in life. Thank you for saying that. This is, as you're talking about that, I, my first thought was when, when you said, consider the ways that you have coped. And my first thought was, Ooh, ouch. (laughs) I, I don't know that my coping skills were and are the best, uh, which leads us back to this piece of where did that come from? How was that initially introduced to us? And so those coping skills may be, and I'm using quotes here, healthy, or they may be quote unhealthy, but I I love that you just pose the question to just notice it, just become aware of what are your go-to coping mechanisms and how has that gone for you in the past and where might those have come from? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think too, like having complete compassion, self-compassion too, you know, when you're taking a look at, oh man, that is my, yeah, mm-hmm. I have done that over and over and over. Oh my. Yeah. There's no judgment. This is just about reflection and. Right. And those coping skills are helpful up to a, a point. They really are. They're brilliant. We came up with them to survive and cope for most of us. I think, I think by midlife, that's just my, my little guess. It gets to be a lot trying to use those coping skills to actually get along. And that's where we realize we start to realize they break down. They're not quite enough. And that's when we can really get into, okay. And it's, It's not that there's something wrong with the coping mechanism and you need to get rid of it, being aware of it, and then being able to go deeper with the process and actually learn 
how to fully grieve in a way that's structured, that has support. And it's not just talk therapy. It's not narrative therapy. It's not just take better care of yourself or take some time for yourself or have some respite or plan for these things. Try to, Hey, just work. It's not the message. Hey, just work harder trying to balance everything. Right. Right. Um, It's actually something that really works to bring peace to all of that. I think one of the most important ways to frame that, you know, when we're thinking about assessing it is really being able to have the perspective of our entire lives. What are all of the losses that we have experienced and what are the worst ones? What What are the deepest losses? And probably that's probably easy for people to come up with. Mm-hmm. My deepest loss was my dearest sister. Um, we grew up like peas and carrots, like peanut butter and jelly. And she got sick and passed away when she was 38. Wow. And that was, that's easily my deepest loss. So I can, everything is in comparison to the depth of that loss. Wow. Yeah. You know, I have other, I have clients and friends whose deepest loss is a divorce or the death of a child or mm-hmm. infidelity. And the, our deepest loss is really mm-hmm. the worst. And maybe the thing that we're dealing with right now is the worst. Right. Right. It's good to have that perspective. I love that. Cause it, it kind of gives us a I don't want to say a map. I'm always feeling like if we can pull some, something that there's no words for, there's no, and if if we can pull that out and give it form, give it something to look at that there was a before and an after, and there's a, like you said, a way to compare that to it, it, it helps give some semblance of a way to look at it or, or think about it or describe it or express it or experience it. Yeah, I I think so too. Instead of people just being a little, you know, scattered doing what comes naturally, mm-hmm. like employing all of those coping skills as they're moving along. Right. You really have to stop and consider that. And then like I make people write this down and show me in black and white. Let's see. Let me see how you plotted it out and how you compare all of those things. Mm -hmm. My horse being sold when I begged for it not to be sold. That was a loss for me when I was a little girl. Yeah. But it pales, absolutely pales in comparison to divorce or Mary's death for sure. Obviously. Yeah. Yeah. To have that perspective and see it in black and white is like, Oh my gosh, look at all of look at this that I've lived through right. and I know some about my coping skills and know, oh, yeah, that's how I managed to get, you know, I learned to replace that loss. I rode one of the other horses. I didn't have my own horse, but I got told that don't feel bad. You have another horse to ride. Mm-hmm. Right. And that's one of those early messages that I internalized, mm-hmm. but being able to see that in black and white is more than just having a little bit of perspective in my own mind. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. One of the really important things I do. 
I think this is, yeah, boy, I'm just imagining doing that for myself. And I could see how externalizing it, getting it out of my head and my heart and my body and putting it into form, writing that down, it allows me not to manipulate it, but to shift it, to, to look at it in a different way, to move things around on paper, to it's offering a different perspective and new way of looking at it from an external view, from me looking at this piece of paper and the words I choose to write and where they go. And what do you think about, because one of the things that happens so often for our caregivers that are listening to the show is that they're in the loss. There isn't a a death, if you will, a, Mm -hmm. a physical death. There's a slow, continuous loss that they're living every day. And that's often started long before the diagnosis, knowing that there is something not right, or there was something that uh, a fear, and then that fear was often um, substantiated by a diagnosis. And then you enter another level of loss, and then you're grieving with your loved one sometimes. And there's also the individual experience of the loss. Again, I'm using quotes here, loss, because it's so hard for folks to understand or even express their experience because their loved one is still here. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. And then I know people will say, having gone through that decline, then after an eventual death, Mm -hmm. well, I started grieving a long time ago. Yes. You know, as if that minimizes the, the pain, right? right? Right. And yet there are things that we can do in that, you know, in the midst of it, there are things that we can do to help really process it and not just be functioning in the feeling state of loss or grief or that heaviness. So, and that's a, this is a question that I get a lot from clients who are going through this grief process, the whole, you know, I call it a protocol because (laughs) it really is A to Z. It's an entire protocol and the objective is completion. And I call it successful grief. (laughs) We've all been through grief. So when it's successful, that completion is really achieved. And it's done in such a way that hearts are really actually healed. And the, it's not just a cognitive reframe of, it's not just think the right thing or think harder or count the good stuff or, right. Well, you know, practice gratitude or, you know, at, at least yada, 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 but really allowing for deep healing to happen. Here's what we know about human beings. We're made to heal. You just think about like a small cut on your finger or whatever. Your body is made to heal. Your mind is made to heal. Your heart is made to heal. I love that. I just wrote that down (laughs) in all caps. (laughs) 
think this is so important to have that message. And I think you just like the beginning of our conversation when we were talking about our early memories or our early examples of exposure to loss and how people in our lives have uh, modeled that for us. What would it have been like, you know, for you or me or, or anyone else to have had someone say to us that you are made to heal your body innately knows your body, your heart, your mind innately knows how to heal. Just presenting that message alone, I could see would have shifted my whole grief and loss experience throughout my life. Right. Yeah. I think we feel compelled to fix things that don't necessarily need to be fixed, but we are like, remember we're trying to avoid pain. Yeah. That is such a good point. Thanks for bringing that up again. I think that both culturally and, and biologically, we are wired in our, our brains to avoid pain and the right. impact that that can have on yeah. us. Yeah. When you're saying that, Laura, the really interesting thing, I was thinking like, what if we had actually learned how to grieve well when we were younger? You know, I, like this will be wild, but I have a theory. I have a theory. We actually would have experienced less pain. Mm-hmm. And probably less, fewer incidents of real grief and loss. And I say that partly from personal experience of one of my go-to things for a long time was to replace, replace the loss. And that pattern of behavior created more opportunities for loss. Oh, wow. More opportunities for That makes so much sense. Yes. Yeah. You know, I've talked about this not too long ago when we're talking about the hand, if you get a cut on your hand or whatever, I've used this example when I talk about the grief course that I offer in 1998, I went with my mom who was a nurse to Guatemala and we did short-term medical mission stuff there. My parents were both medical and they did missionary work for most of my life, most of their lives. In fact, my dad, who's 94, is still doing mission work in Tanzania, East Africa. Different topic. I mean, like he's completely this topic, right? But I'll make that a parenthetical insertion. So in Guatemala, when they're cooking over open flame, people would often fall into the fire. Sometimes it would be the mom. Sometimes it'd be the little kids. In this medical mission, we went and did surgery for a week and often what we saw were burn things, you know, burn scars, whatever. When the hand goes in the fire, it can get burned. And then what they would do is they would treat it as well as they could. You know, I'm sure that they protected it and, and tried to keep it clean ish, whatever. What often happens is a contracture where the skin grows together because they're holding that in a posture so that they're not hurting it more. Right. It's the same thing we do with loss. Like we hold our hurt and our pain in such a posture that it actually causes us more pain eventually, you know, then those people in order to have full use of that hand have to have major plastic surgery on it and go through even more pain. Yeah. 
What a beautiful, thank you for sharing that. That really paints this picture, this image of, it, it just illustrates what you're saying yeah. so well. Yeah. I, I just really think if we had been taught really well how to do this, mm-hmm. we would have avoided pain mm-hmm. ultimately. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I love, like I, said, I love those metaphors. I think they sink in in a deeper way, you know, for understanding and, and learning and, and healing. It would be really interesting for those of you listening. I know that I'm thinking about this for myself, kind of doing exactly what you said, Beth, and, and just sort of sitting down with a piece of paper and reviewing the different loss that I've experienced in my life and that you may have experienced in your life. And tell us a little more, like if we were to do that process for ourselves, what are the things that you would encourage us to be writing down or noticing or? I think the black and white, really doing it on a timeline where it's in real time. Here's, here's birth. And then the current time, it's easy to do this, divide it in the middle. So you kind of have, and it doesn't have to be perfect. Right. But I think it's really important to acknowledge and you don't have to remember everything in chronological order either. I think one of the most important things is highlighting that deepest loss. Right. And then everything is and the, the deep loss is the longest line down from the timeline. Okay. And that represents the deep pain. Kind of a measurement of that on paper. Yeah. Yeah. Externalizing it. And you can see that in relationship to other losses. I think, you know, when I did this, I didn't have everything on there right away. And then I was like, oh my gosh, yes, that's right. That move in fifth grade, that was definitely a loss. That was a huge transition even moving back because it was, even though all year long, I wanted to move back (laughs) and we actually did. We were, we moved. My whole childhood was spent in the same place. We moved my fifth grade year and then moved back for sixth grade and moving back was an upheaval and tumultuous also when that was not what I expected. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I, can only imagine the insight that can be drawn from, from doing an activity like that. Yeah, I really, I mean, I think it's, that's the amazing thing over and over when I see people do this and then talk about it, it, they have revelations that never occurred to them before. Yeah. What questions somebody's going through that exercise, what are the things that you think could be helpful as I remember a loss, what am I reflecting on about that loss? I think, you know, for starters with that, the only thing that we need to do with that is just measure the depth of it. Okay. You're just getting perspective. Um, I think a lot of times what we want to do and a lot of times what happens, you know, if you're doing real grief work or you're trying to do this with a therapist or even trying to process with friends, we get kind of we can get fixated on some particular thing, you know, and we want to retell it or narrative therapy is often recommended for grief. Mm -hmm. And I've done it with some of my clients. 
I don't do very much of it anymore, not in the same way, because sometimes that narrative therapy actually just, I say it rehearses the pain. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It doesn't really offer any kind of. Maybe. Can you tell our listeners uh, just real briefly what narrative therapy is? I think that yeah. some people may not know. Yes, absolutely. So narrative therapy is kind of what it sounds like. It's just telling the story. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And we are told also that being able to speak about our loved ones or share our reality and just tell the story is helpful. Mm-hmm. Yes, it's helpful to a certain extent. It's also kind of dangerous in that that's the story that gets cemented. Right. That's mm-hmm. the important piece, I think, about, yeah, when we talk about narrative therapy is being curious about what how are you telling the story of all the ways, <laughs> all the possibilities of all the things that could stand out or come out of the story, you're choosing to tell it in a certain way. And, and yes, I agree that we can get stuck in a pattern or a, a loop, like you said, of, mm-hmm. oh, this is what happened. And this is how I felt about it. And this is So learning how to change the story or learning that you have power in, in that. Yeah. And I think, you know, being careful while you're doing something like that timeline, the grief timeline that you're, you know, you can be mindful of, you can notice like, Ooh, this deepest one. Oh my gosh. I could get stuck talking about that. Or I feel so much heaviness or shame or you know, whatever comes up, but because you're, you have a task, you have an assignment mm-hmm. and it's time bound also, you know, when I'm working with people, it doesn't go on endlessly. We're not revisiting that forever. Right. But you have a task and your task is, this is obviously the deepest loss. Yeah. So how did those other ones measure up I like that? Yeah. And it doesn't have to be perfect either. So having that task and really having that framework helps mm-hmm. people not I get imagine, so stuck in just one. I thing. was just going to say, yeah, I imagine that it, it's, it feels like a safer invitation to, to enter that realm of that. You're not asking people to re-experience all of these losses they've had in their lives. This isn't what this process is. It's simply to get them out, externalize them out onto paper and just measure the, the depths of right. the loss. Yeah. yeah. I, I mean, the, the objective is really perspective on your own experience with loss. Yeah. And, yeah. The, and part of that is, you know, part of the perspective is being able to see like, oh yeah, those are my go-to mm-hmm. coping mechanisms. And look at, it showed up here and it showed up here. And I did the same thing here and the same thing here. So, okay. Then it really underscores, really underscores that the loss is not the problem Mm -hmm. to be solved or fixed or to be survived or endured. Then the, the challenge, I would say the opportunity is to take a look at, oh, those coping mechanisms and did they work? Are they working for me now? How am I still in that mode? Even if it's the current loss, you know, if it's something 
that you're experiencing right this moment in a relationship that is still current functioning. The invitation that I hear you saying is it's an invitation to bring, bring something that's not in your awareness into awareness, just becoming conscious of it. Just, and then you have the opportunity to ask yourself, is this working or is this not working? And uh, so I've been coping this way that I haven't even probably noticed all these years with this loss or these different loss experiences of loss. And it's an invitation, like I said, to bring it out of your subconscious realm into your conscious realm, becoming aware of it, and then empowering you to choose, is that serving me or not? Is that, is that what you're? Yeah. And it's not pressured. There's no big pressure about this. You know, I think about awareness. Yeah. I think about when Mary was dying, I actually told her, you know, she was getting chemo and she was concerned about me. Like this is, I know this is going to be hard on you. She was terminal at that point. Right. And I actually said to her, this isn't going to rock my world, you know? And I think, I think back on that and think, Oh my gosh, what a ridiculous thing to say. And I felt a lot of shame and regret and sadness about having said that in the moment with her. And when I think about it now, after really actually processing this, it's not time that heals grief. Mm -hmm. It's not. It's actually really the process of skillfully doing this. You know, I think the inherent message with the, that knee-jerk response of mine was like, be tough. I'll be strong. I'm going to, you know, we'll get through it. Yep. Yeah. And recognizing and acknowledging the opposite. Like, mm-hmm. hey, this is gigantic. Yeah. I'm losing my best friend, my best sister. My There's no replacement for her. And that's, that was another part of why that loss was so deep, where I had had that pattern of, well, just replace the loss, you know, like get a new, get, get a new horse. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. There's no new Mary. There's no possibility for replacing her. Yeah. 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 The other things I just want to say this to Laura, for sure. Like what are the promises that actually doing successful grieving is that you do not have to be overcome by waves of grief endlessly for the rest of life. You know, the things that trigger that pain, I mean, oh, for heaven's sakes, Mary passed away 18 years ago, even maybe 10 years after she died, I would not have even been able to tell anyone that story that I said that. And I didn't, I didn't have to tell someone that story and tell someone all the stories in order to get my healing and relief. Right. I did the, the process of realizing how I deal with grief and how I have been taught to do that. And then taking a risk to do the opposite or learning a new skill. So 
now I can talk about anything about Mary. Wow. And it gives me joy and pleasure to, and it's not enshrinement. She's not a saint by any means. I mean, we were sisters two years apart. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. This is, uh, thank you for sharing parts of your personal story too, because I think that that's what people hear and relate to in their own ways. So I really thank you for that. Yeah, my pleasure. I think it's important to be specific, not just conceptual. Yes. And let people know like, man, there's real, there's real hope. And it's not a pain of feeling. It's not a lessening of love or value or care. And and you won't get lost in it. I think that that's so often what I hear too, is I can't go there because I'll never come out of it. And I did that. I did that for at least seven years with Mary's death. Mm -hmm. I went, you know what? I think I'm stuck. I think I'm stuck. I need some help. Yeah. Yeah. Well, how can folks find out a little more about you and the work that you do if if they want to continue, you know, down this path or they're curious? So liveswork.org. Okay. And that is a website where I have courses and the grief, successful grief courses on that site. The other one is just my name, bethluwandi.com. There's tons of information there, lots of free information about grief and relationship. Fantastic. Yeah. Lives work. I love that. I love that name. Lives work dot org mm-hmm. where you have some courses and then bethluwandi.com and I'll make sure that I put this in the show notes so that folks know how to spell your name and, yeah. and get to the right place. So thank yeah. you. Thanks Laura. Beth, thank you so much for sharing this with us. I think this is such an important topic and I just really want to thank you for your time. I really hope it's helpful for people. Thank you very much. I hope you enjoyed this episode. If you have comments or would like to send us a message, you can send it to hello at lifeonrepeatpodcast.com. Please also consider following us at Life on Repeat Podcast, either on Instagram or Facebook. The information shared in this podcast is not a substitute, nor is it meant to convey professional, legal, psychological, financial, or medical advice. If you can use such services, please seek them out from someone you trust.